loud. <laughs> I don't want to be that loud. <laughs> That's obnoxious. <laughs> well, we've come to the message portion of our service once again today, and uh, as we always do, we'll start with prayer. Lord, what a privilege it is to have your word so readily available to us in this age. We know it wasn't always so, but you have blessed us in a special way. So as we open our Bibles today, Lord, we just pray that the Holy Spirit give us understanding and uh, let us know what we're to do. We know that uh, we've had salvation in Jesus Christ, but that's not the end of it. There's a response we need to have to you, Lord, so help us to understand that and then to live it. So uh, help us as we study today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, we had a sermon on the greatest commandment. And uh, we started off in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. And this is where a scribe approached Jesus. And, you know, scribes like to study the scripture. And in his case, it was the Old Testament scripture. And uh, as scribes often do, they uh, tried to come up with a summary of the Old Testament. And uh, certainly they did this with Jesus. They put him on the spot and said, uh, what's the greatest commandment of all the commandments? And we talked about how many commandments there were in the Old Testament, over 600 of them, and uh, 613 to be exact. And Jesus had an interesting answer as he spoke to this scribe. In Mark uh, 12, and in verse 28, uh, as the story goes here, verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, the most important commandment in all the Old Testament is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And last week we talked a little bit about what it meant to love God with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, and your whole strength. You know, your heart and soul make up what you are as a person. Your heart is the, uh, the, the seat of your emotion. Uh, it's what causes you to act the way that you do. Uh, when he says heart here, he doesn't mean this beating organ in your body. It means with all your emotion, with all your sincerity, with all that you are. When you tell someone, I love you with all my heart, that means with all of my emotion, with all my passion. Uh, you're special to me, and I, I, I put you as number one in my life. With all your soul means with all of your, all of who you are, that you're dedicated that you're, you're disciplined in this love. It's not something that's short-term. It's going to go on forever. You put God as your priority. With, with all of your mind, we talked about how your love of God is a learning experience. Uh, the longer we're Christians, the more we study, the more we learn about God, and everything we learn about God as he reveals it to us, the more we love God for it. And then finally... With all of your strength, we talked about how loving God requires action. You know, he calls us to salvation, but then he prepares in advance works for us to do. And we actually demonstrate our love to God by action, by doing things, by helping and serving, <clears throat> using the talents and abilities God has given us. 
Now we come to the second part of this great commandment, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. We didn't have time for that last week, so we're going to talk about that today. In fact, these two commandments, the love of God and the love of our neighbor, are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. Like that old song, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. (laughs) Dad was told by mother, you can't have one without the other. Actually, we demonstrate our love for God by loving our neighbor. There's a scripture that says this in 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. You know, sometimes Christians say, well, I love God. There's no doubt about it. But it's these other people who get in my way and who upset me. You know, God is great. I love God, but keep these people away from me. No, you can't have that attitude. Love of God goes hand in hand with love of your neighbor. John says in 1 John 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not, have lo- who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, as far as Old Testament Israel was concerned, that meant your fellow Israelite. You know, that, that's okay, you can get along with that. I love people who are, you know, belong to my nation, who are part of our country, who, who have the same culture that I do, speak the same language that I do. But you know what? Jesus takes this further because he talks about not loving your brother. He talks about loving your neighbor. And your neighbor can be anybody. Your neighbor can be somebody totally different from you. It can be somebody who has come into this country from another land, somebody who speaks a different language, somebody who is a different color, a different nationality. As far as Christians are concerned, what the Lord requires of us is to love our neighbor, not just our brother. Don't just love the ones who are easy to love. Love the ones who at times may be difficult to love. So Jesus sets a higher standard for us. In fact... It is the the one way, our love for our fellow man, uh, it is the one way that we're identified as God's people. Remember when Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Thank you. You know the scripture. So we're identified as God's people not by the day that we keep, not by the foods that we eat or don't eat. We're not identified by any surgical procedure that has been done on our body, as it was in the Old Testament times, circumcision. We're identified as God's people by the love that we have for others, not just for fellow Christians, but our neighbor, the person who lives next door to you, the person who lives down the street from you, the person that you work with, the person that you go to school with, That's how we're identified as God's people. So the two commands are inseparable. Our love of God is fine, but we really prove that by loving our fellow man. Now, what does it mean to love somebody like that? Well, turn with me to Philippians 2 and verse 3. 
Philippians 2 and verse 3. Ephesians, Philippians. I think that this, this is a good summary of loving your neighbor. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, we have no problem doing things out of selfishness. <laughs> because we all, and I think you're like me in this, we all think very highly of ourselves, don't we? <laughs> we, we're, we protect ourselves, you know, if there's danger near, if a storm's coming, we may get in the basement because we, we enjoy our lives and we want to protect our lives. We take safety precautions around our house, we make sure it's well lit at night, that doors are locked. Why? Because we love ourselves, we love our family, and we don't want anything bad to happen. When we're sick, we go get some medical care, take some medicine, or whatever the case may be. In most of our lives, and like I said, if you're like me, we think very highly of ourselves. What God is saying here, and this is a tough thing for Christians to do, take that concern and that care that you have for yourself on a normal basis, and now extend that to your neighbor. Now that's hard. That takes a change, doesn't it? Because we're so self-centered most of the time. Now he says, take that same care and concern and extend it out to your neighbor. And it says here in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That's unnatural. It's natural to be selfish. And, and conceited about yourself. But this is the change that God's bringing about in our lives as Christians. Verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay? So all the things that you think about yourself, you need to have enough food to eat. What about your neighbor? Does your neighbor have enough food to eat? And if they don't, what could you do about it? We all have clothes to wear, but what if your neighbor doesn't have clothes to wear? What are you going to do about it? Is there some way you can express that same concern to that other person? If uh, your neighbor doesn't have proper housing, you've got proper housing, you've got heat, and most of you got air conditioning if you want it, you've got a roof over your, your head. You know, we take that for granted. What if our neighbor doesn't have that? Do we turn that same concern to others. You know, we like to be satisfied and know we're in good hands and all is taken care of for us, but what about our neighbor? So the question comes up, who is our neighbor? Is it the person who just lives next door to you? Is it fellow Christians? Well, Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let's turn there. Luke 10 and verse 25. He was talking about something different, but the same theme of neighbor came up, and somebody asked him, well, who is my neighbor? It says in verse 25 of Luke 10, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teach, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus could have given a simple, straightforward answer, but instead he told a parable. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest, so this man was a Jew, and here comes a Jewish priest. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So he purposely crossed the street so he wouldn't have to deal with it. So to a Levite, another priest, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So these two men, went out of their way to avoid the situation. In other words, the priest and the Levite, when they saw this guy beaten up and laying on the side of the road bleeding, they asked themselves, if I stop to help this guy, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to have to get involved in this. It's going to require my time. I'm in a hurry. I can't really stop now. They asked, if I, if, if I stop to help him, what is going to happen to me? Now this next man, the Samaritan who comes along, sees the man and asks himself the question, if I don't stop to help this guy, what's going to happen to him? So notice the two different viewpoints. The priest and the Levite said, if I stop to help this guy, what's going to happen to me? It's going to take time, it's going to take effort, I'm going to have to get involved in this. But the Samaritan comes along and asks himself the question, if I don't stop to help this guy, what's going to happen to him? The priest and the Levite had their minds on themselves, their cares, their concerns, their worries. The Samaritan had his mind on the other person. So he stopped to help. He goes on to say, verse 33, but a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. So two different viewpoints. The priest and the Levite saw somebody of their own nation and that didn't even motivate them to stop and help the man because his, their minds were on themselves, their own personal cares. And they didn't want to make a commitment. As you know, it used to be said in this country in the, the 60s and 70s, he, they didn't want to get involved because it would have taken involvement to help the guy. But here is a Samaritan, and understand again the background to this story. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were loathed by the Jews because centuries ago, uh, Israel, when it was the northern nation of Israel, they were defeated by the Assyrians. They were, the land was invaded. All of the people were taken into captivity as punishment from God. And instead of letting their land just be vacant and, and kind of go to seed because it was an agricultural society, 
what the king of Assyria did was he took another nation and moved them in to the vacant land of Israel. And these people were Samaritans. Okay, they were not Israelites. They were not Jews. They were from a foreign country. They worshiped differently. And ever since that happened, the Jews hated those people. They were intruders. They were, uh, you know, a Gentile nation, so to speak. And uh, this comes down to Jesus' day. Samaritans are still living in the land. They're still hated. They're still outsiders. But to demonstrate who their neighbor is, Jesus uses the example of, of all people stopping to help the Jew was a Samaritan, one of the hated ones. It says in verse 35, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So sometimes it's easy to love people who are like you. People who look like you, who talk like you, who have the same customs and culture that you have. But it's hard to love somebody who is different. And of course today, you know, it, it's so involved in our society that there are so many things that separate us, even politics today. You know, people want to find out what your political stand is, and based on whether you're, they're like you or they're different from you, that kind of, you know, makes you take a different approach toward them. You know, whether you agree with them politically or whether you disagree with them politically, I think it's a good thing these days to, to just, you know, not make your stand noticeable or, or in your face of, of another person. You know, we all have political feelings one way or the other, but it's not a big issue in our lives. Because as soon as you take a political stand one way or the other, you're with this group or you're with another group, you kind of cut yourself off from half the population of America who don't agree with you, who take the other political stand. So what I'm saying is our goal is to love our neighbor, not to, to take a stand necessarily one way or the other. You know, you can have your political ideas, but, you know, it shouldn't come in the way of you helping people and loving people. Uh, so, what happened here? Jesus explains who's your neighbor. There's no limitation on who your neighbor can be. And in fact, we need to go out of our way sometimes to help people who are not like us, who might be different from us. There's some lessons to be learned from this story. Consider this. I'll give you a couple things to, to consider. When it comes to loving your neighbor, you need to be proactive. That's point number one. Be proactive. What do I mean by that? We have to have a heart for loving our neighbor. And if we do, God will provide ways for us to love our neighbor and to maybe serve or to help others. So you have to be proactive about it. You know, we've talked many times about how we start our day. Do you think about God when you wake up in the morning? We should. And it's a good thing, even though it may be brief, to pray in the morning before you get off on your schedule, going to work or wherever you're going. And it's a good idea, if you're really dead set on loving your neighbor, 
to ask God to give you opportunities. That's a good way to start, to be proactive. You know, if you stumble out of the house without doing that, you don't know what's going to happen to you that day. But if you stumble out of the house having prayed and asked God for opportunities to demonstrate your love for your neighbor, you know, God may provide you with an opportunity that day. I don't know what it might be, but you're proactive. You're prepared. You know, you think to yourself, uh, you know, uh, I may be given the opportunity to help somebody financially. I may get called by somebody or the opportunity might come up for me to show my love for my neighbor by giving them a little financial help. Might be a good idea to set some money aside. How about a loving your neighbor fund that you set aside in your checkbook or a little bit of cash set aside and just say, God, I'm setting this money aside. When you give me the opportunity to love my neighbor by helping them financially, this money is set aside for that. So, Lord, I'm ready. If that opportunity comes up, call on me, as we just saw in the video. Choose me, God, because I'm prepared to help somebody financially. And I know that there are people in this congregation who are just like that. We've had some opportunities to serve. Now, this is within the congregation where people have needed money. And whether you know it or not, I'm aware of the fact that you help those brothers or sisters financially. And you know what? There are times where you don't even have to be asked by the person. You just take it upon yourself to help somebody financially. Now, I know of a couple of people in the congregation who do that, who just happen to, to be aware of the fact that somebody's struggling financially, and they've just kind of gone up to the person after services and handed them some money, said, this is for you. This is a, a gift for you, a love gift for you, from God through me. What, what a beautiful thing to see. And I know we have people in the congregation who do things like that. And sometimes you, don't, you shouldn't even wait until the person asks you, because it's a hard thing to, to come up to a person and say, you know what, uh, I've really had a financial setback, or my wife lost her job, and the kids, we've got a medical bill for the kids, and I have no idea how I'm going to pay it. It's hard to do that. It takes a lot of uh, humility to do that, and sometimes people struggle with that. But sometimes when you're just aware of it, to go up to a person and say, hey, here's some cash. I know you're struggling financially, or I know you got some bills. God bless you. Here, take this. That's loving your neighbor. And it's being proactive. God has given you skills and uh, abilities to use. And if you know of somebody who is struggling with an issue that you can be a help, if you're an electrician, you're a plumber, you're a carpenter, and you know somebody's got uh, things that they're struggling with and maybe can't afford, go up and uh, volunteer your services. I want to tell you what happened this past week. My neighbor, a guy who lives next door to me, uh, he put on new lights on the front of his garage, <laughs> okay, and uh, made his house look a little bit nicer. And I have long needed to get new lights for my front of my house, the garage, and uh, by the front door. So uh, I told him, I said, hey, those are great lights. Make your house look so much better. I said, I'm sorry, but you know, I've got to change my lights too. One of them, for some reason, when you turn the switch on, it just blinks on and off. <laughs> the one light is fine, but on the other side of the garage, it blinks on and off. 
And you know, people have stopped by when at night we've had the lights on saying, is there some emergency here? I saw you flashing light out in front of your house and I'm so embarrassed, you know. And there was some problem with it. And ever since they fixed our roof and the guy threw a tarp on it and it kind of pulled it away from the garage, it's been a problem. So here, out of the blue, my neighbor says, uh, hey, when you're going to change your lights, let me know. I can come over and uh, maybe show you how to do it or give you some advice. Because my neighbor's one of these guys who can do anything. He's got toolboxes and he's just handy. So a few days later, I finally got some lights and I told him, uh, he was out cutting his lawn. And I said, hey, I got some lights. So, you know, if you ever get a chance in the next few days, he turns off his lawnmower and he comes on over and he says, let's see what we can do. So I get the, the lights out, and he takes the first one, and he takes the old one off, and I'm watching him. And uh, you know, I know some basic electricity, but you don't want to get stuck in a situation where you, know, you just can't get it done, and it's not working, and then you feel frustrated, and you have to, have to call a professional electrician in, and they cost an arm and a leg. So he puts this one on, he shows me how to do it. I said, well, great. And uh, so I said, I'm going to do the next one. So he goes back to cutting his lawn, and it's the bad one, the one that flashes on and off. So I took the old one off, put the new one on. Sure enough, go in the house, flick the switch, nothing, nothing. So he turns off his mower, comes walking over again. And he said, well, it looks like you got a problem with that one. I said, hey, I did it the same way you did that one, and it's a problem. I said, this is the one that flashes on and off. So he's, he's scratching his head and looking at it, and it happened to be a problem with the ground. You know, there's a ground wire. You got your white wire, your black wire, and you got your ground wire, and something happened to that. So he says, hey, let me try something here. So he, he did it a different way and wired it a little bit differently. It worked. His name is Mac. I said, Mac, I really appreciate you helping me with this because I couldn't have handled that. I would have had to call up a professional electrician and paid an arm and a leg. He said, no problem. I said, you know what? This week I'm going to give a sermon on love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to use you as an example. And he laughed. He's a Christian man. He goes to a different church in Youngstown. And uh, his wife came out looking for him in the middle of the job. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, he's doing that uh, love your neighbor as yourself thing, you know, and he's doing a really good job at it. So I just praised this guy and he did, did it humbly. And he used an ability that God had given him to help somebody in need. What ability do you have? What's your gift from God? It doesn't have to be electrical. It doesn't have to be plumbing. It doesn't have to be anything like that. What does your neighbor need? Be proactive. Don't wait to be asked. Volunteer. You see the need, fill the need, okay? Don't be pushy, you know. Don't be obnoxious about it. Don't be prideful about it. Just in humility, do what needs to be done. What did Jesus Christ do? He looked at this earth and saw us in our sin, dead in our sins. He didn't wait for us to ask. He came down here as a human being and died and provided the exact thing that we needed. That's what we're called to do. So, this Samaritan was proactive. A second thing about the Samaritan, he was observant. He looked around. I mean, how can you miss this guy laying by the side of the road bleeding? You can't miss him. He observed it and he saw a need. And that's what we have to do. Be aware. Don't be nosy. Don't pry into people's business. 
but God may bring it to your attention that this person has a hospital bill that has to be paid or a doctor bill or medicine that they have to buy that they can't afford. Don't wait to be asked. Take the initiative. Notice needs of people. There's a scripture, I won't turn there, but in Matthew 9, verse 36, Matthew 9, 36, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't wait for people. Oh, I can be your uh, savior if you come and ask me in a nice way. No, he did it. He did the work. He accomplished what was needed. He was observant. So sometimes we have to open our eyes and look around us. A lot of times we, we get a, a glimpse of what's happening at work, you know, when people are talking and, you know, somebody's sitting there at work crying. <laughs> and you might want to go up to the person and say, hey, I notice you're having a really bad day. Can I help in any way? It might involve prayer on your part. It might involve something physical that you can do, uh, an encouraging word. That's loving your neighbor as yourself, because if you were in that situation, you'd want somebody to come up to you in a nice, humble way and offer whatever help they can give you. Now, the person was compassionate. He could have been like the Levite or the priest and just crossed the street and pretended that they, they didn't see the guy, but he took compassion. He was moved to compassion. So there's something about a Christian when we see a need, we don't cross the street to avoid it, or we're not so focused on ourselves that we think, well, what is this going to cost me, and how much of my time am I going to use up helping this person? He didn't just feel sorry for the guy, he responded to the needs of the person. Amen. And he used the resources that he had on hand. He used the resources that he had on hand. So I don't know, maybe he was traveling with a first aid kit. It's not out of the realm of possibility, you know. So maybe he had bandages with him. And here he takes out what he had and he helped the guy. He bandaged him up. He stopped the bleeding. He got him to a safe place. He was responsive to the problem that he saw. Now I'm not saying that as a Christian you can solve everybody's problem. But you can be there. You can offer your services. You can do something about it. Now, another thing about this man is that his involvement was costly and sacrificial. He was on his way someplace, and he had to take uh, time to help this person. He had to get out of his normal schedule. He had to break his normal routine. And you know what? Sometimes loving your neighbor as yourself is going to be costly or cause a sacrifice on your part. This man used his own resources to help the, the man who was beaten up. And then he gave uh, money in the amount of two days wages for this guy's uh, well-being and for his care. So, you see, God gives us resources to be a blessing to others, not just to be consumed upon ourselves. That's why... God blesses us in that way. So sometimes we get blessings from God and we have some money in our pocket and we think, oh, thank you, Lord. I feel so much better now. I got extra cash on me. But the reason God has given that to you is it's to be a blessing to others. So if you are proactive and you, if you ask God for opportunities to help others and then he blesses you with that extra cash, 
Well, that's what it's for. <laughs> that's what it's for. There's more where that came from. God owns the whole universe. He can bless you in, in as many ways as you could possibly think. And there's plenty of opportunities to serve in our society. Another thing about this story is that his love was inopportune. Is there ever a good time to help others? A lot of times it's when you're busy. You know, my neighbor was out cutting his lawn and he had a lot of lawn to cut, but he just shut the thing off and came walking over to me and gave me as much time as I needed. Now, sometimes, you know, if, if that's us, we're thinking, oh, I got to get this lawn finished. I got a lot of work to do. You know, maybe later I can help him. Maybe tomorrow I can help him. But, you know, I'm focused on this job. No. Sometimes loving others is, comes at an inopportune moment where you got other stuff going on that you have to put aside. This becomes a priority. Don't forget, that's how we're known as God's people. We're willing to drop what we're doing and go help somebody in need. Remember this story here in Luke 11, verse 5? It's a story about prayer, but I think the meaning is the same. We're talking about helping somebody in an inopportune moment for ourselves, but they need help. We've got to drop what we're doing. Remember this story in Luke 11, verse 5? Jesus tells this parable. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. So uh, how would you feel? How would I feel? I'll tell you how I would feel. I'm sleeping in my bed, and somebody comes knocking on my door at, at midnight and says, Yeah, I just got company, and I wanted to do some sandwiches, and I don't have any bread. Do you have any bread that you could loan me or, or give me? Or maybe you can run out to the store for me and pick up three loaves of bread for me. I say, are you out of your mind? I'm sound asleep here. I got to work tomorrow. And you're waking me up at midnight asking me for bread? Now, this is a, an example and an analogy of us calling on God in the middle of the night with prayer. You know, you're in the hospital, the ambulance comes to get you, it's one o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden you're calling God, praying to Him at one in the morning, asking Him for help. Well, the lesson is, we can call on God 24-7. He doesn't mind. He's always there and always available for ourselves. But the story goes on in verse 7, then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked, and my children are in bed with me, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So that's a story about God hearing our prayers in the middle of the night and always being there to help us. But the lesson is that we should be like that too. Because sometimes loving our neighbor is inopportune. They need help at the worst time. But yet, the lesson is, we should be able to put aside what we're doing to help. You know, I remember years ago when we lived in uh, Kentucky, we went away, my wife and I and our family, we went away to a conference. And we got home late at night. And of all the things, <laughs> while we were gone, and this was for three or four days, one of the water lines underneath the bathroom sink, which was upstairs at the time, broke. 
So shortly after we left, and over the course of three days, water was leaking under the sink. The, the, it was a, like a plastic pipe. I should have put in metal ones, but it leaked for three days upstairs. So you can imagine when we opened that front door and walked in our house, it was like walking into a rainforest. Everything was wet. Everything was soaked. Furniture was ruined. Carpet, you know, there was water on the floor. Uh, and imagine after a long drive home, many hours, and kind of stumbling into the front door to find that. Well, I freaked out. Back in those days, I didn't even know how to shut off the water, okay? The main line. I was uh, uneducated. My dad probably tried to show me sometime, but I wasn't paying attention. I was too busy with other stuff. So without thinking, I called a deacon in the church at the time, Steve Arnold, remember? Without even realizing, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, Steve, we just got home. Our house is flooded. And with the phone call, I had just awakened him without even thinking, because it was all about myself and my own uh, you know, trial that I'm going through. And the poor guy threw on some clothes, jumped in the car, and came right over and said, here's the main water switch. Turn it clockwise. And he shut off the water for me. And I said, thank you, Steve. I should have known better. I should have learned that in advance as a homeowner, but I was stupid. <laughs> but this guy, in an inopportune moment, I got him out of bed, and he came over and helped me. That's what it means. Because a lot of time people have needs and people need your involvement and love at times that are inopportune for you. And a final, final thing to consider about this story of the Good Samaritan is that love is healing. Your love demonstrated to other people has a healing effect on their lives. Now, it was obvious this guy had gotten beaten up and he was bleeding this man provided the help, the medical help, the, the bandages, whatever the case might be, that led to this guy's eventual healing. And it started right away. As soon as he knelt down at this guy's uh, uh, you know, body and started to apply bandages or whatever he had, ointment, he binds his wounds, checks him into a hotel to rest and recuperate. When you demonstrate love to your neighbor... It provides a healing. It provides a healing. It's not about you. It's about the person that you're helping. Okay? And we're not doing it for selfish reasons so that people will like us. We're, we're, we're doing it because there's a need. And God has told us that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And if we're lying on the side of the road bleeding, we certainly want somebody to stop and <clears throat> kneel down at our side and start to, to help us. So... There are a lot of different lessons to be learned from that story. You know, it was Jesus who said the golden rule. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Amen. And that's the basis of loving our neighbor. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. So, we have to be observant of others. We have to see needs that are real. We have to make a commitment. We have to uh, have compassion, not just feel sorry for somebody and hope that somebody else stops to help them. Our help can be costly and sacrificial. We have to know that in advance. Getting involved takes a commitment. 
getting involved. And it may come at inopportune times for us. But it provides healing. Something that God wants. Think of this. Love is seeing a man without food and giving him food. Love is seeing a man begging for love and giving him love. Encouragement. Becoming a friend to him. Love is seeing a man lonely and give him company. Love is meeting the need, not just feeling the need. You know, sometimes we just have compassion and we have pity. And we think, oh, what a sad story that is. Well, I, I hope something happens that, you know, improves their life. Or I hope they get over that. Or I hope somehow they get through that. It's not just seeing it and feeling sorry, but it's meeting the need. So, do you have the courage to be proactive about loving your neighbor as yourself? As uh, Mr. Williams just said here a few moments ago, we need to be willing to volunteer. If you volunteer and say to God, God, I want to be able to demonstrate my love for my neighbor, whoever that may be, provide the opportunity for me. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to set some cash aside. I'm going to maybe... uh, you know, sharpen up my abilities that you've given me, my uh, capabilities, my talents. So if you need somebody with a particular need, be sure to call on me. And just wait and see what happens. God hears that prayer. He knows that there are plenty of people out there who need a lot of things. They need to be loved. They need to be heard. They need uh, perhaps some physical thing to be done for them. They need prayers. But God is inviting you to become involved by loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what he called us to be as Christians. It's not just enough to love God. I think none of us have a problem with that. But we demonstrate our love for God.